Thank you very much. Acts chapter 17. Again, let's get to the visitors with us. The visitors who are from Guam, whoever you are, we should arrange the pastoral visit in mid-January and not this week. I think that would be better. Acts chapter 17, begin reading down in verse number 16. It says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore, Disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the, and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him and some said, What will this babbler say? Others some, he seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto the Areopagite, Areopagus, excuse me, saying, May we know what this new doctrine wherefore thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For I passed by, behold your devotions, I found the altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. At the times of this ignorance God winked it, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day into which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Wherefore, he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, albeit certain men clave unto him, and believed, among the which was Dionysius, the Aprogite, and the woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the message now. Lord, I pray, number one, you be glorified and honored in all that's said and done. Help me to stay true to your word. 
And Lord, may your word have that free course on hearts this morning. May it draw us closer to you and strengthen us in our faith and meet the needs that are here. Lord, I do pray for those who are present who have never truly been converted. And I pray for that conviction and that drawing that even this, mor- <coughs> even this morning they will repent and place their faith in Christ. Again, Lord, we love you and I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. We, in our own nation... And now we live in what we refer to as a post-Christian culture. A post-Christian culture is referring to a culture, uh, our current culture view, if you will. In times past, in our nation, Christianity had a profound effect on the way America developed and how it grew throughout towns and cities throughout our nation. Even though many certainly were not Christians they still grew up and looked at the world through a Christian perspective because of the influence that Christ had on our nation. Sunday, in not too distance of a past, was considered a day of worship. There was a basis of morality in our nations, and that basis was the Word of God. People, whether Christian or not, lived in a Christian manner because of the influence on the culture. It used to be a common saying in our nation that if someone did something wrong, people would commonly say that was not a Christian thing to do. As we all know, that has greatly changed. As a whole, our nation no longer has a Christian worldview. It certainly has a much more humanistic and secular worldview. This, in turn, has affected churches. Today, multitudes of churches believe they need to become like the world in order to win the world. There has been movements for some time convincing churches uh, that they need to make these changes in order to be effective in their culture. A verse commonly used to justify this is 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 22. Talking about Paul becoming all things to all men. That verse never, ever, ever implied that Paul became like a pagan culture to win the lost. But through him serving and not offending the culture he was in based on his liberty in Christ is what he was referring to. He always wanted to be in a position, as we're going to see here in Athens, to effectively preach the gospel. Today we're going to look at Paul in action in a pagan, Christless culture, much like ours. Let's put this in context from where we have been. Paul has now been on his second missionary journey for some time. Started off going through, uh, reporting back to the churches from the first missionary journey. The Lord used that to have a man accompanying him named Timothy. He had no clear direction, though, once he came through and reported back. Wasn't sure which way to go. Finally, the Lord gave, gave clear direction, and the gospel would head into Europe. He crosses over. He has the very first town he's going to stop in is that of Philippi, the very first city in Europe to have the gospel. In Philippi, a church is established, but when Paul was there, he endured much suffering. He was beaten severely and thrown into prison, him and Silas both. 
However, the Lord used that in a great way. We know he only spent one night in prison, not even a full night in prison, because the Lord intervened and caused a great earthquake to occur, multitudes of miracles. A great earthquake occurred. All the chains were loosed from all the prisoners, which is an entirely separate miracle. Then you have the miracle of all the prisoners not even running away and staying right by Paul. They wanted to know more about this man who, when he was thrown into prison, beaten severely, he prayed and sang praises to God. Everyone knew that man's different. You want to know how they knew it? Because of the trial he was facing. Then the earthquake, of course, occurs. All well, The earthquake had occurred. The jailer would have been common in that culture. Would, uh, would have been the sort of the thing to do. Would have been to take your life because he would have been, his life would have been required had the prisoners escaped. But then Paul cries out, lets them know, we're all here. No one's left. You don't have to do that. He too had heard this man preaching. He comes down and falls before him, serves what must I do to be saved. Him and his household put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have the church established there in Philippi. From there he head over to Thessalonica, the capital city there of Macedonia. A key, key route it was on. And of course, the church gets established there. But once again, this riot in, uh, ensues and Paul is run out of town. He heads to Berea. Again, another church is established, but it's not too long into that. Uh, not too long into his time in Berea that he's also run out of town. And that's when he comes to Athens. He's here in Athens, but now he finds himself alone. For the first time in all of his missionary journeys. And that was out of his desire to see the Christians established, discipled, the church strengthened. Because he left the men that were with him back in those locations. Luke, who he picked up, by the way, don't forget that. Luke is now in Philippi. And we now have Timothy and Silas left going between Thessalonica and Berea. So Paul arrives in this great town of Athens. I want us to see Paul in this city. I want us to see how we can have an effect on our city as Paul had an effect on Athens. I want us to see how Athens affected Paul. The importance of us willing to be stirred to tell others about Christ, even when mocked. We have a great example through the Apostle Paul of how we are to respond in a Christless culture. Listen, the answer for what we need to be successful isn't found in some book that some modern-day preacher wrote. It's right here. So let's look at Athens in the day of Paul. Let's see what Paul was facing. Paul, being run out of town in Berea, comes to Athens... The plan was eventually he would go to Corinth. He was going to be waiting for Silas and Timothy to meet him. Paul, while waiting, decides to tour this city. So what we're going to see take place in chapter city isn't, it's the story of a man, but not just any man, the Apostle Paul. It's the story of a city, and certainly not any city, but the city of Athens. 
Paul, who is a Jew, but not only a Jew, is a Roman citizen. He's not only a Roman citizen, think about it, he's also Greek. He's very Hellenistic in how he grew up in Tarsus. Very cosmopolitan. All this and this man that God has put together. Incredible. This man comes to the city of Athens. Some historians tell us that Athens in its prime, which would be the 4th or century B.C., was the greatest city in the world. Many believe that it has never been equaled even to this day. When Paul arrived, the city is no longer the political power it once was. It's not even the capital. That would be Corinth. Corinth is also the economic power. But Athens was still the university city of the world. It was the home of the great philosophers, the city of Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, There were great temples throughout. Temples to Zeus, theaters, markets. It was called the Eye of Greece. The mother of arts and eloquence. It was said that when Paul would arrive in Athens, there was approximately 30,000 different gods that were worshipped. Many of these statues have survived, and you can find copies of them everywhere, samples of ancient art. Paul recognized that these were not merely objects of art, but were actually gods being worshipped by the Athenians. Paul sees a city that is wholly given over to idolatry, sensuality, prostitution, parties, pleasure-seeking. As far as demographics at this time, this is important for what Paul will face. Athens was made up, of course, of the common man, which was primarily given to idolatry of those 30,000 false gods, given over to sensuality. There was another group called the Epicureans. These were the philosophers of their day. They were not idolaters. Many of them, most of them were atheists, at, at, at best deists. They really did not believe in any god, and if there was some type of god, he has nothing to do with them. They would mock all those who believed in any type of religion. Sort of common in our day, isn't it? They were the intellectuals of their day. They believed when a man died, that was it. They denied any type of life after death. They were very materialistic. Since they believed this life was it, they believed you lived and you got the most out of life. That's where that takes you. You become a rationalist. All of a sudden, the chief aim of man isn't to glorify God. It becomes pleasure. Pleasure was a virtue. Their motto was, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. They were what we would call today existentialists. Living for the experience of the moment. Still a very popular philosophy of our day. There was another group we see here in our text, the Stoics. This group was very pantheistic. They believed God was in everything. It's in the trees, in the rocks. That the creation itself was divine. They prided themselves on being level-headed, taking whatever comes at them. 
They believed all things were determined ahead of time. Fatalistic. Paul will be brought before the combination of, of these groups of people. So Paul is walking around the city of Athens, a city wholly given to idolatry with 30,000 gods. He sees people everywhere, people praying to these gods, praying to these idols. He sees the philosophers who are atheistic, living for pleasure. Stoics who simply believe God is in creation. So what Paul does is he gets to work. He heads first to the synagogue and he preaches. Then to the market area and he preaches and begins conversations and debates with people preaching Christ. While he's in the market, some of the Epicureans and Stoics hear him. And they, bring, and they bring him to the Areopagus. They want to hear what he has to say. By the way, if you notice, verse 21 makes it clear. It wasn't because they were under conviction yet. It was just their thing to do. They love to hear new things. <clears throat> Paul is brought before Mars Hill, which is the same word that Areopagus that we see in Greek. This was the name given to the place of the court of judges. This is where they would judge in the city. Sort of the supreme court of Athens, if you will. They have the final authority in the city. It was usually made up of about 30 men. And it's before these men, of course, also with a great audience that would be present. <clears throat> so that is the setting that we have. So now, let's go into the text and let's see how this should affect us in our culture. Verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. I have several S's, if you will, I'm going to give you. We're going to see that how a spirit is stirred, how that leads to him seeking, and then we see the sovereignty of God at work. Paul's spirit is stirred. The word stirred here means provoked. It greatly, in other words, bothered him what he was seeing. He was not just looking around amazed at the architecture, at the art that he was witnessing. He was witnessing some of the greatest architecture of the day. These buildings and, and statues and uh, temples that men have built. That he's not in awe of any of that. He's looking at the people who are wholly given over to idolatry and his spirit is stirred. We are usually amazed at the outer, at the awe of what man has done. Paul certainly is not. It shows how spiritual this man was. He was spiritually sensitive. He wasn't looking around as a tourist. But as an ambassador for God. This is how we see in Athens. So how do you see Anchorage? Do you see it under our responsibility and our calling as an ambassador for Christ? I mean, think about this. I would imagine as we travel, we all relate to things of how we view life. All right, so an average policeman, when he heads to a new city, my guess is as he's driving around, he's looking, you know what, this would be a crime area problem, I'll bet you. This, problem's, this is probably pretty safe over here. When an architect comes to a new, new town, he probably looks around and thinks, wow, that's a pretty good structure over there. Wow, that, that, that one's junk. 
right there. You know, a city manager, city workers around, look how organized or how clean the city is. We see things through our perspectives of what we know. When Paul looked on the city, again, it just wasn't as a common man or as a tourist. It was who he was in Christ. Too often today we have churches not stirred or provoked by the culture, but in turn they desire to imitate it. Think about that. We're seeing the imitation of a Christless culture taking place in the institution that God has established to reach the lost. We need our spirits stirred for the culture, provoked. Paul looked at the city through spiritual eyes. He saw the true spiritual condition. The fact is, he didn't care one thing about the temple to Zeus, the structures or the artwork. He could care less. What he knew is this, it's all going to burn up. This will all burn up one day, but the souls of men will last forever. He saw all the glamour and the idolatry. He knew it was keeping the people blinded from the true God. He's seeing people praying to and worshiping something made with men's hands. It's like, look at this blindness. Look how pathetic. Look what they're doing. Ignorant of the true God. He was burdened by what he saw. He knew what they needed. He, I, I would imagine, he imagined himself in their place having to grow up in Athens, being taught by your parents, being, being taught by your culture here. Do you see this idol right here? This, 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 I, I know that Joe down the street built it, but this thing has the power to answer your prayers. If you'll come to him with an offering, this stone image can help you. How ludicrous. How blinded. Or he listened to the philosophers in the marketplace. Living for pleasure. Talking under their belief that there is no God, there is no creator. Paul was burdened and provoked. Too often what provokes us is more bad drivers, long lines, and long sermons. I'm preaching for an hour today, so I just, that's just preparation for this. <laughs> because Paul's spirit was stirred first, that moved him to action. He goes from stirring to seeking. He puts some action behind this. He begins looking for the opportunities. He saw the need. And he did not want to waste a single opportunity. So where he starts off with, he goes to the synagogue first, as was his custom, which made sense. Those who are monotheistic, he starts with. Those who had an understanding that there is a creator. Those who even had the understanding that one day a Messiah would come. And Paul heads to that synagogue to preach, the Messiah has come. He knew that these people would also be key to make a difference in this city. 
Paul starts with them. From there he heads to the markets. He sets up daily uh, meeting places daily with different people in the markets. And people were coming. He was causing a stir of his own, if you will. He looked for the opportunities. When your spirit is genuinely stirred for what's taking place in our culture... And you have that compassion to see what they're actually... Be- Do you remember Wednesday night, the images I put up there? To be stirred, to just think what people are actually believing right now. Let's take a 12-year-old and let them mutilate their body. My goodness. The blindness, the vileness, the ignorance. We should be looking for so many opportunities. Those opportunities to talk to a co-worker, to your neighbor. Looking for the simple opportunity and passing out a tract, communicating the gospel with someone else. Without being stirred by the culture, in this manner, from a spiritual ambassador standpoint, you will never genuinely seek. When you see a need, you begin to look for those opportunities. And they're everywhere. They are. They're there. They're genuine people who want to know. There's times that God throws circumstances in people's life that you have no idea who you're going to cross paths with, what God has already done in their life to try and prepare them for the gospel. You have no clue. But if you're not even stirred or seeking, you're going to go right by that opportunity. Again, the, the man, I've, I've given this story before. I was back on a furlough from New Guinea. I just got, we we hit Alaska first for, I think, three or four weeks. We just got down to Florida. I went to drop off my laptop um, to get it repaired. So I dropped it off at Best Buy to get it repaired. And I left Best Buy, and next door was a Books A Million. Again, I love bookstores. So I said, oh, wow, I haven't been in a bookstore since four years. So I headed into Books A Million. I was down by the religious section of the books looking at different ones. There was one other man in the section, and he was in a work uniform. And I wasn't paying too much attention to him at first, but then he'd asked me, he's over by the Bibles, he said, hey, could you help me find what he said was an ESV, that type of translation of the Word of God? And I said, sure. I said, I can, I can help you with that. And, uh, and he looked, he was, he was a big guy, he was well over six foot. And he looked, he, sometimes you can tell, he just looked heavy, like something was really wrong. And I, sa- I said, well, let me ask you, I said, I said, why are you looking for a Bible? And uh, his head went down. He said, well, I just went to church for the first time in a really long time on Sunday. And when I left the church, the pastor said, I need to get a Bible. And, and I said, well, yeah. I said, I, said, I said, that's a good thing. And I still noticed something's wrong. You get to see the heaviness. I said, listen, I said, I'm actually a pastor. I'm a missionary. I said, do you need to talk? He said, oh, I do. And there's a coffee shop. There's not one up here. If you know Books of Millions, there's coffee shops inside. So we went to the coffee shop inside and sat down. And he began to talk immediately. He had said how a few weeks earlier that he had really messed up and his wife left him. And he was crushed. And from there we talked. We headed into the gospel. And it was similar, not dissimilar from Jared, when I talked with Jared. 
I got to the end of presenting the gospel and the tears just started coming down. I didn't even have to ask him. I mean, I'd finished, so I'd, I'd presented the gospel and right there, he placed his faith in Christ. And he left with the King James Bible that day, by the way. You have no idea those around you, what God's already doing in their heart to prepare them for the gospel. But if you are not stirred, see, too often we're stirred in the wrong way towards our culture. That doesn't lead us to seeking at all. We lose compassion. That could be you. That could be you in that blindness and in that ignorance. Believing the lies and the philosophies of the day. That could easily be you. Would you not want somebody to present you truth with some, with some passion? Because Paul was obedient, stirred in his spirit, being a servant and seeking, we see God's sovereignty completely take over. It says in verse 19, this is the, the Stoics and the Epicureans. Says, and they took him and brought him unto the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine wherefore thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, that, that we would know, therefore, what these things be. Then Paul is standing on Mars Hill. Incredible what takes place. Here the Lord intervenes. The Lord opens the door. I, 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 I mean, think about this. Paul did not sit out with a game plan. How can I preach to the high court? He didn't sit down, get his evangelism team together, say, listen, we need to get to the high court. All he did was trust in God and take advantage of the opportunities given to him. And God's sovereignty took over. Not only that, God had things in place for Athens. Paul says, I am going to preach to you the unknown God. And if you're familiar with that, I would, you can get a book by Don Richards called Eternity in Their Hearts. I think it's the very first chapter of that book. He covers this. That book is just a series of chapters that deals with stories from the Word of God and from missionaries of how there was something in place in the culture that God the Creator already put in place where they had an understanding of the gospel. Matter of fact, another book that same man wrote dealt with New Guinea and was called Peace Child. But eternally in their hearts, it deals with what was going on, the story behind the unknown God in Athens. It wasn't just a random sign put up. Okay, there's probably a God we don't know. Let's put that up. They had 30,000 of them. That's not what's taking place here. I, 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 I lend my books out way too often, so I have no idea. How, I had that book in my office, but it's gone. And so I could not review the story. It's been many years since I've read it. I know, I remember the majority of it, though. Several hundred years prior to Paul preaching here, in Athens, they had a sickness taken. People were dying left and right. They were sacrificing under their false gods, but nothing was working. They actually called in a, a, a counselor, if you were, another philosopher from a whole other region to come in and help. He comes in and sees what's taking place. And his advice is this. He says, there's a God you don't know. 
He goes, I suggest you find the God you don't know. And so they developed a plan. And the plan would involve Mars Hill. Mars Hill at that time was for grazing for the sheep. And so the city leaders met of Athens and they determined, okay, we've got to stop this. Let's say he's right. Let's say there is a God we don't know. So they want to, how do we determine that? They said, let's, let's put it to a test. We're going to cause several sheep to fast. We're not going to let them eat for a certain time frame. I don't remember how many days it was, but for so many days, they would not let the sheep eat. Just so that they were really famished. And then, they would release them onto Mars Hill, which was the grazing hill, and they said this, if they sit down and they do not eat, that philosopher's right. There's a God we don't know. And we will pray to him. It worked. They got some sheep together, locked them up, no food for a time frame, released them on the Mars Hill. They all just sat down. At that time, they prayed and asked the unknown God to please stop the plague. It stopped. They put a sign up there in remembrance to the unknown God. So here comes Paul. I'm here to proclaim to you who that unknown God is. God's sovereignty at work. The truth is, as we are obedient, we can trust in God's sovereignty is so much better than all of our schemes. So much of our schemes too often, listen churches, this is true, are based on pride. As we see here, there are doors that God will open. Especially as we are stirred to action. We're obeying God through the giving of the gospel. God will work and open what has been shut. I mean, we can think it here. We can think of what's been taking place. Different ministries in our own church over the years. How God has opened different doors. I mean, we think of what started even with the radio ministry right now, that I never, ever, ever saw coming or planned. Outside of the initial unction that I believe was of the Lord, during a prayer time, to start a radio thing, which led to one station. Today, somewhere between 15 to 17 million in radio markets right now. Which means we don't have that many people listening. But that's probably right now in the range of 500,000 Every day. I don't know too many independent Baptist churches with the average size of 200 reaching 500,000 every day. God's sovereignty at work. From there, of course, Paul preaches the gospel. And it's amazing how he did it. He starts off with God as the creator. He makes it so clear. Paul doesn't refrain from bringing up their sin as is common today. We hear all these preachers packed with lost people saying how, well, God hasn't called me to condemn their sin. Just their love. Or or to preach God's love, I should say. That's not at all how Paul, what Paul did in this Christless culture. Paul went right at the idolatry. 
He said, the true God, there's only one God. There's a creator. He's not made with your hands. He's not a God of gold or silver. He's pointing out, look how foolish you are. That would grab hold of the minds of the idolaters and the Stoics and the Epicureans. He's preaching something that is very believable. That is very, if you will, lack of a better word right now, plausible even when they think of life and creation. I mean, the Epicureans knew. You've got to give them credit. They, they knew. That stone God is, is not a God. He does nothing. There's nothing happening there. It's vain. It's empty. And here's Paul preaching. Yes, it's true. that You, you, you think because you made this, all of a sudden it has some power? No, there's a true God, a true creator. And know what else he says? He said, and he is commanding you to repent of this. To turn from it. He knew the power was in the gospel. It wasn't in relationship building. Don't get I'm for relationship building. My very last convert in PNG was a result of relationship building over 12 years. But boy, is that used as an excuse today to hardly ever give the gospel out? In our day, the misuse of this idea that sounds good initially of relationship building is what's leading churches to change. <laughs> the relationship isn't affecting uh, 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 the lost person, it's affecting the church. They are changing. They're changing. So see, we want our culture to relate to us. So they changed the church. I have news. The local church is about glorifying God. That's what it's about. Don't change it. If, if a lost person in a paganless, Christless, or a, a pagan culture, or a Christless culture comes in, it should be very different. They should know something different is here. That it's just not a modified, poor, pathetic uh, excuse of a rock concert. Church is changing standards. Did that just change on me right there? That sounded different. Church is changing standards just to present more comfort. The idea is never to make the church like the world to win the world. What wins the world is in the power of the gospel when it's effectively presented with power. That's what reaches the world. If they are not won by the gospel, they are not won to Christ, they are won to your church. Paul knew his audience is evident by what he preached. He pulled from the culture what would help them understand the gospel. The unknown God. You can see how well-read Paul was. This Jewish man who was a Roman citizen, Hellenistic in nature. He quotes, just, just like that, he quotes verbatim one of their own poets. A Greek poet. Point 
pointing out the sin in the culture. He didn't dance around it. Paul was not preaching to be popular. He was preaching what he knew Athens needed. He actually truly cared about their blindness more than he did about packing some building out with fake converts. By the way, it's interesting to me that the response Paul receives was the same he got from the monotheistic culture. It's the same that he received during the pagan culture. Some believed. Multitudes mocked. Many rejected. By the way, as we see, the name of the man who was given, did you notice who he was? One of the converts was one of the 30 men. One of his converts that day was one of the 30 men that judged the city. What a great starting point. Again, the majority, as is the case, would reject. But Paul knew his job was, to, was not to fill pews, but to fill the pulpit. As I finish this today, notice what Paul did not use to reach a paganless culture. This should be our textbook. He did not change or water down the message of the gospel to make it more palatable. He went right at idolatry. He didn't refrain from it. He knew if there's going to be conversion, repentance from idolatry is necessary. An acknowledging of who the true God is, of simply pacing their faith in Christ alone. He did not decide to set out a, a philosophy club within the town. He simply got to work. He did not establish the Athen Angels CCM band. He never focused primarily on music. None of that's even involved. He focused on the gospel. Please understand that to many, the gospel will be offensive. There's no way around that. We can't change that. I mean, Christ said, if the world hated me, they will hate you. Listen, more than likely... Here's just an easy rule of thumb that usually holds true just about every time. If the world really loves something, there's probably an issue right there. So with Paul, we have him headed into this wicked, vile culture in Athens that had such a wide range of people from the idolaters to those just given over to intellectualism to those into the pantheism sort of the Eastern religion side of the house right there, if you will. God is in all and he's in everything. So he's facing all of that. It stirred him. He knew they simply needed the truth of the true creator. And then he goes out and begins to preach truth with passion. People began to listen. And then God simply took over in his sovereignty. 
He had a faithful servant in the Apostle Paul. And God said, you know what? I'm going to take him. I'm going to put him before a really large audience in Athens with some of the key leaders. And I wonder what was going on in the one man who was on the court who did put his faith in Christ. I'm I'm curious what was going on in his life prior to the events of that day. We live in a post-Christian culture. Listen, when we head out and we head into Anchorage, we head out into the valley, we need our spirits stirred by what we're seeing. Not so busy that we, we, even, we don't even take notice. Or not so hard-hearted without compassion that we just become judgmental and will never be effective. But our spirits stirred in knowing what our culture needs. With heads bowed and eyes closed.